Hello and welcome to Amra Circle. I'm your host Deeksha and I'm so excited to introduce this platform that brings parents, educators and experts together to discuss all things parenting. For we all know it takes a village to raise a child. This podcast will shed light on different issues, questions and topics relevant to the early parenting community. Enjoy our musings every week as my team and I take pressing parenting topics and break them into 20-minute episodes. Subscribe to Amra Circle on Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you never miss an update. During the growing years between infancy and adolescence, adequate nutrition is of utmost importance. Choosing what and how to feed your baby has lifelong effects for your baby and for you. What you've seen and learned about infant feeding from your friends, family and teachers is likely to influence your attitude and perceptions. In this episode we cover weaning methods, understanding struggles with feeding young children and division of responsibility in feeding. So at a high level, let's first describe what infant nutrition is. The various sources infants can get their nutrition from and what the most common beliefs about feeding children this young are. Sure. So when we're talking about infants, we typically talk about kids who are between the ages of zero to six months. And typically uh, for kids that young, we're really only looking at breast milk or formula uh, for those first six months. And um, I know some cultures do uh, suggest water and um, other kind of liquids, but generally these are not recommended mostly because they don't have the nutrition that the children need or the correct salt balance, essentially. Um, and also there's a high risk of contamination um, with liquids that are not directly breast milk or formula. Uh, and actually WHO recommends nursing until children are two years old alongside solid food um, once they you know, turn six months and are ready for that. And these days, many families, actually not these days, for a long time, many families have nursed longer than that. Many families don't nurse at all. And then there's a whole range in between. Uh, but generally, whether or not you're nursing, you should be using uh, breast milk or formula to supplement children's um, food intake uh, all the way up to the time they're two years old. I think the two most commonly used methods that I've seen or read about are uh, traditional weaning and baby-led weaning. What does that look like in an Indian household? And let's talk a little bit about these two methods. Um, okay, so uh, for traditional weaning, Typically, uh, this is when you have purees, pishpash, or khichdi. Um, and this, you know, used to start much younger. Kids would start as early as three and a half, four months old. And these days, the recommendation is to start later, around six months old. But that's typically what you'd serve. So, um, and, you know, most families have like the blender that would be running with like whatever uh, vegetables and dal and rice kind of stuff. Uh, and adults use a spoon to feed. Uh, and eventually, the child starts feeding themselves finger food. Um, and the one thing with traditional weaning, although most parents are, you know, totally aware of how to do this, because this is how uh, a lot of people have done it, is to be aware not to force feed. Um, so let your child open their mouth and come towards the food before you put the food in their mouth, rather than using games or distraction or tapping their mouth with the spoon and all those kinds of things that parents tend to do. Because the idea is that we want children to listen to their bodies and eat as much as their uh, body tells them they need. Right. And the first few times that you introduce food to kids, uh, you know, they may have very interesting reactions. They may not want it at all. They may spit it out or they may lap it up and love it. So 
all kinds of responses to food are totally valid. And then baby led weaning is the new kid on the block. Um, and I, I guess it's not really, I'm sure like cavemen did not have blenders to puree food for their kids. Uh, but then in between, we went all the way to purees and fish bash. Um, and now baby led weaning is back on the, uh, back in the news and back in what people are talking about uh, in with regards to feeding kids. But interestingly, many pediatricians in India don't mention it or don't offer it as an um, as a option. Uh, this is something that I've seen mostly in blogs and those kinds of things. And maybe now, like I'm talking six years ago, so maybe now pediatricians are starting to talk about it. And the idea with baby led weaning is that children learn to chew and then swallow. Um, and this is apparently adaptive because the gag reflex is way up in the uh, front of the mouth at a very young age and it works further back so as children grow so if you're introducing purees first and children learn to swallow and then their gag reflex moves back and then you give them solids it's more likely for them to choke um, and I don't know how far this is true but that is basically the logic behind baby led weaning right so that is why they start with solid foods immediately and so with baby led weaning, what they do is um, you don't start solid foods until your child can sit up in a tripod position, which is when you know they're sitting with their legs apart and their hands in front of them. So they have to be able to sit up independently for at least a few seconds. Um, and then you actually prop them, put them in a high chair so that they can sit. Um, and then you introduce single foods um, one at a time um, and you cut them into like finger food size and for young children counterintuitively you actually cut it a little bit larger so you're looking at something like the size of an adult finger um, and usually in kaju cutli consistency so what you're looking at is usually things like idlis or um, even like just vegetables that have been steamed potatoes sweet potatoes um, those kinds of things you also um, in, introduce a glass for children to drink from not a breakable glass, but like a, a tumbler, steel tumbler, something like that. So children can drink water. Um, and eventually, by around nine months, both kids who are doing baby led weaning and traditional weaning will be using eating some form of finger food. Uh, the difference is that kids who've been doing baby led weaning will have only ever self fed and will have started with the solid foods earlier. Whereas people who do traditional weaning will start with purees and move to solid foods um, by the time the kid is around nine, 10 months. So now that we've discussed traditional weaning and baby led weaning, let's just talk about common good practices that parents can follow regardless of which weaning method they choose to implement. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So when you're weaning the baby, whether you're using traditional or baby led weaning methods, um, I would say focus on not salting the food too much, either unsalted food or very, very little salt um, is best. Uh, it's also good to focus on savory food, not just fruit and sweeter vegetables like pumpkin and those kinds of things, because you want children to develop quite a range. Um, also, it's important to focus on whole foods. So don't introduce uh, refined food or process, uh, sorry, refined sugar or processed food, um, food that you cook at home, food that's recognizable, um, that's best. So like biscuits and things like that, if you're making them at home and you're trying to use whole grains, that's great, but try not to do like parlay and those kinds of things. Um, and then family foods and traditional foods are most convenient, really. Uh, and, you know, a lot of these uh, traditional foods that we eat anyway are really good for adapting to both um, ways of weaning. Um, so that's, um, you don't have to change the way you eat and use fancy ingredients or like Western recipes uh, just because you're weaning your kid. And by around nine months old, do introduce finger food. 
Uh, it doesn't have to be like something you cook specifically for the kid. It could just be like rotis cut up into strips or idlis and dosas or, you know, whatever cutlets you're having at home, those kinds of things. Um, just tone down the spice, of course, if it's um, food that does have spice in it. And uh, the last thing is uh, counterintuitively, you, the recommendation is to introduce common allergens early and often. So things like peanut and egg like and things like that. Um, but discuss with your pediatrician about the course of action. Should there be any family history of allergy, um, allergies? Interesting. And I think parents have the most trouble with children at a certain age and talk about how their child is the pickiest eater in the world. So let's talk a little bit about these picky eaters or you know children that don't eat too much at all. Is this a cause for concern? How do we address this? So, I mean, okay, let's just address generally picky eating, right? All children go through a phase of picky eating. You might have like introduced your kid to the widest variety of foods when you were doing baby led weaning and they ate like a champ. They ate, I don't know, like stinky fish and like all this kind of stuff. And it was great. And uh, then suddenly the child turns two and a half years old and they're like, hey, no way. And the reason for that is because it's evolutionary uh, for children to be picky eaters once they enter the toddler years. Because think about it, right? They're mobile. They're able to go around and pick things up. And back in the day when we were still hunting and gathering, it would not have been very good for them to pick some poisonous berries and stick it in their mouths and chew on it. And so that's exactly what's happening, except now, of course, they're in much safer environments. But our bodies don't know that. They're still kind of wired to what was going on um, a long time ago. And so um, because back in the day, they couldn't distinguish between what was safe and unsafe. Naturally, children tend to go through a phase of picky eating. Um, and that's just evolution's response. And then the other thing um, is that even uh, children who aren't particularly picky and you know may eat a range of food uh, do need multiple exposures to a food before they begin eating it, right? So the research says something like eight to 15 exposures to a food before a child is willing to try it, which can be really frustrating to a parent, um, but you know, it's, it's, children need to see it multiple times to know that it's safe. Um, and that's when they are willing to eat it. And also children actually need less food than we could imagine as an adult, right? So I was again looking at the research yesterday for what are toddler portion sizes and toddler portion sizes are like one quarter of a slice of bread. And then they need six of those slices over the course, uh, sorry, six of those portions over the course of the entire day. So what is that? One and a half slices of bread. Most kids I know would eat that at one sitting and then, you know, some other carb at a different meal. But parents are freaking out because, hey, they haven't eaten enough. So it's just important for us to keep it in perspective. What is actually required for a child um, and, um, you know, what's actually picky eating versus an evolutionary response to being mobile. Agreed. And I was reading about this, right? I was reading about fussy and picky eating and how it's really common for this to happen when the kid is about two to three years old because the child is discovering themselves and is exerting some control over what they do or what they eat and uh, it's quite common it happens in most cases but sometimes this fussy or picky eating is not temporary and you can find that the baby is only accepting very limited variety of foods or mm -hmm. liquids of a particular texture or consistency and what I've come to realize is that this can be labeled as sensory based feeding difficulty and uh, this could be a cause for concern. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, you make a good point. So two things, right? So one, let's just distinguish 
between a power struggle versus uh, feeding difficulties. And you could have a ton of power struggles if you have a child with a very strong-willed temperament and you know they don't like to be told what to do. And this is uh, generally potty training and food are the areas where children can exert maximum control and it has the maximum impact on their parents and kids like to push your buttons. Okay, so that's one thing. So the best thing to do really is to serve food without fuss and take it away without fuss when you decide meal time is over. So that's a separate thing entirely. But to go back to the idea of sensory-based feeding difficulty, yeah, so this is an area of concern. If your child is accepting really only a very limited type of food or they're rejecting all food of a specific consistency. So for example, if your kid is eating like khichdi and they're eating chips and they're eating like french fries and they're eating, uh, I don't know, paneer and they're eating, you know, a bunch of different things and they're drinking milk and or eating porridge, so you're seeing that they're eating a number of different um, consistencies and textures. Um, and then, you know, they're accepting of some vegetables and maybe some are completely verboten to them and they don't want them, but they're eating at least a few different vegetables uh, and a few different dals of protein sources. Then you don't have to worry, right? But if your kid is completely against anything that's pureed or they're completely against anything that's crunchy or they're just textures that they will not eat, um, that's uh that's when you should start considering it and if you know they're going through a phase so a lot of the time when teeth are coming in or there's like some kind of growth happening children can become a little fussier so watch the process also so if the fussiness lasts over a period of months and it doesn't wax and wane then also you might want to consider if there are entire food groups that are being left out or entire textures and consistencies consistencies that are being left out then you want to consider talking to your pediatrician but if it waxes and wanes um, and uh, there are a number of food groups that are acceptable as well as a number of textures that are acceptable at, a, at different periods of time then it's not a cause for concern interesting and uh you brought up power struggle. So let's just double click on that. And I was reading about division of responsibility in feeding. And it's about how adults decide when and what and where to feed and children decide which food and how much to eat. I think mm -hmm. this is slightly counterintuitive to how most parents function. And I certainly yeah. don't think it's common in Indian households. So let's just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so Ellen uh, Satter wrote a book uh, called uh, Child of Mine, Feeding Your Child with Love and Good Sense, something like that. And it's a book that I read uh, right when my son was born. And it made a ton of sense to me, actually. Uh, so when you, when you listen to the principles, right, it doesn't make sense from an Indian context because food is love for us. Really, you want your child to eat as much as possible and you want to cook for them and you want to make sure that they're you know, eating well. Um, and really what we realize is, uh, even as adults, we have varying appetites, right? Our day doesn't look the same every day and our calorie needs are not the same every day. The things we want to eat each day are not the same. We have cravings, we have days when we don't want to eat at all, we have days when we are ravenous, and it depends on our activity levels, right? And if someone was coming and sitting in front of us and telling us, finish everything on your plate, eat everything that I put in front of you, we would likely be upset about that as well. Children are the same. And so what Ellen Satter says, um, and this has now become division of responsibility and feeding in the literature, is that adults decide when, what, and where to feed, which means you make sure that there are meals and snacks available to your child at regular intervals. You make water available throughout the day, um, and you decide what's available to your child. So you're not a short order cook. You don't um, see that your kid has decided they're not eating anything for dinner, and then you're going to go in and like make an omelet or you know get them whatever. 
you decide what's available to your child for that meal, um, what's on the table, or maybe you know what's on the table plus yogurt and fruit, that's it. Um, and you um, regulate grazing. So you don't actually allow children to um, graze throughout the day. So they don't get little bits of food whenever they want. You have proper meal times and snack times so that there's um, some regulation to this. Of course, there are some families that do graze throughout the day and maybe your child eats tiny bits and then that's up to the family. But essentially, um, it, it's regulated. So you're, you're saying, okay, if you want to graze throughout the day, then these are your two options that are available and this is what is available to you for that time. And the child decides two things, which food and how much to eat, right? So this goes back to picky eating. So you're not going to say, hey, you have to eat every single thing that's on your plate. Um, and your child also decides how much to eat. So you don't say, finish your entire plate or you have to have two helpings. And she also says very interestingly, if you're planning to serve dessert, if dessert is part of your family culture or whatever, you serve it with the main course and you don't make a big deal about it. Because if when you start using dessert as a reward for eating regular food, what you're trying to say is dessert is the thing that you really should want to eat and your regular food is the chore that you have to get through to get to dessert. Um, and anyway, children have this association with sweet foods because they're usually celebratory, right? You have a birthday cake or you have dessert when you go out to a restaurant or something. So it's anyway special. And then if you add this added component of this is the chore, finish your vegetables, then you get your dessert. Um, you're actually setting up that uh, dynamic. And so like whatever food you're planning to serve to your child, provide it without comment um, and let them eat. And children are great at listening to their body, much better than we are. Uh, and they eat when they're hungry, they stop when they're full, and their bodies really tell them what to eat. And, you know, people would imagine that if you just stuck dessert on a plate with the rest of the food, the kid would eat only the dessert and never eat anything else. And really, what I found in my own experience is that um, actually your child will just say when they're full with the dessert, they'll eat part of the dessert, they'll eat part of their regular food, and it'll be fine. Um, but it's when you make a big deal of dessert being this thing, then that becomes uh, this interesting, again, dynamic that's being set up and how you look at food and what foods are fun and what foods are good for you, <laughs> in inverted commas. Interesting. I think it's slightly counterintuitive to how parents function and slightly alien for Indian households, but it certainly makes a lot of sense, definitely makes a lot of sense on paper, but implementation is a whole other ballgame. Hopefully this was insightful, so thank you. Listeners, thank you for listening to this episode. If you have any child development and parenting related questions, you can DM us on Instagram and we'll be sure to address these in our future episodes. Amra is a parent and childcare brand focused on creating an environment that will help children thrive and parents find their support system.